Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge on sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Good morning, Ben. It's so glad. I'm so happy to have you here each week with me. Last week, we spoke about the system that Napoleon Hill taught you, and you call it, or I think he called it, the daily success system. And I want you to know that I took notes, and I actually did, as I was told, which, as you know, almost never happens. In yeah, fact, I amazing. fight with my NAV system. I know. <laughs> I fight with my NAV system. She is not the boss of me. I get lost all the time. But and I have to get this out because it's so important that I share this with you. So as you know, by co-hosting with you each Wednesday, which we've just started doing, I think this is our fourth or fifth week, I am now broadcasting live, live three times a week. And for the past couple of years, I've gone from Friday, for a long time I was just Friday, and then to Monday and Friday because I had so many people wanting to come on the show, and now Monday, Wednesday, and Friday Unfortunately, my systems did not keep pace with the need, and I caught myself being cranky and exhausted at the end of the day and wondering what the heck I had maybe put aside on my agency business that didn't get done. Did I take good care of my you know, podcast guests? And I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't find the time or the energy to update my systems, and it was a bad attitude. It was a silly attitude, and it was a damaging attitude, and I'm so over it. So after I, after you and I got through, I went straight to Amazon and I got my at-a-glance weekly planner, which I used to use all the time. And I began reworking my days and my systems. And as a for instance, today I took the time to schedule all of my June and July guests in my calendar system to remind them of their scheduled dates and for them to confirm so there are no surprises either way. Because when they confirm, they always show up and on time. But not creating these reminders in batches was taking up, as it turns out, an incredible amount of my time, even though I wasn't noticing it. So thank you, Ben. The success system, the daily success system is already working for me. Well, you may thank Dr. Hill because he tricked me into doing it. And, uh, I was <laughs> well, you did going... the same with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was going through uh, the setting up things uh, for next week and so on, things that have popped up. And you'll be happy to know that uh, on uh, it, it flipped by on Saturday, May 27th, I'll be trimming my toenails. And, uh, and <laughs> we talked about that last week. Yeah, and moving it up six weeks, it, it says, I've, there, there's a great example. I don't know how often I do it until I look at the calendar, but it says move up six weeks. And that's a direct 
uh, instruction from Dr. Hill when he caught me trimming my long toenails and complaining about it. So I, I smile frequently during the day about things as I'm scheduling them. But that one always cracks me up because I began learning the daily success system in my bathrobe on the deck overlooking San Francisco Bay when he caught me in his he was bathrobe a bit, with his coffee. He was, <laughs> he was a guest in your house. People need to know this. You were not doing this on the desk at the, at the office. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's an important distinction there. It was Saturday morning uh, at our home, and, uh, yeah, he had a – a, a bedroom there that was the Dr. Hill room. I remember that story. But anyway, I just wanted to tell you, look, I really don't like being told what to do. Anybody who knows me understands this. In fact, and I have to say, and I've said this before, my guests, and you're not my guest, you're my co-host in this particular venture, but I've always said my podcast guests in many ways are my mentors. And I became, you know, we talk about Denise's a nerd and stilettos at the top of the show. Well, that came from a podcast guest. And I actually did do what I was told that time as well. Because he was asking me during the show, he said, Denise, what is it that you do? Nobody really asked me that. I just assume that they know and they don't care. <laughs> so I just... It, <laughs> and I, or know, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just, it kind of stopped me and I said, oh, and I had an answer. I said, well... You know, I, I build WordPress sites. I, you know, code in my sleep. I'm a great cook. I have a digital agency. I herd cats. And basically, it looks like Nordstrom's threw up in my closet. You know, I'm a nerd in stilettos. And he said, say that again. And fortunately, it hadn't gone far enough that I had already forgotten what I said, which I do all the time. And I said, well, I'm just a nerd in stilettos. And he said, you call me when this is, when we're done here, which I always do anyway. So I called him. And he said, why have you not branded that? Why are you not telling people who you are? I said, I don't know. Here's the thing, Ben. When the publicist for the Academy Awards tells you to do something, you do it. When Ben Gay says, get a system, you do it. Yeah, I would think that would be sort of automatic. But sometimes (laughs) I I have to be told several times before it clicks. Uh, but that's what the notepads are for. If I came up with a great phrase like stiletto, a nerd in, in stilettos, uh, within a foot of my head is a yellow pad, and it would be written down there as are probably 20 things that occurred since yesterday. It's just the discipline of doing it, and once you develop the, the discipline to, to use the daily success system, uh, it becomes addictive and uh, freeze up you and I were talking uh, yesterday or this morning or something about uh, a big calendar you got the the one from uh, at a glance and you know it's so big I don't know if I'll be able to fill it up and I assured you and it's true you'll soon be filling it up and inserting second pages in it because once your mind knows that it will get rewarded something will happen with its ideas and it doesn't have to devote any time to remembering an idea you had five minutes ago because that's been written down and filed, uh, then uh, it comes up with more stuff. Uh, it's, it, it's amazing. I don't. I have friends who are human behavioral scientists, and I'm sure they could explain it in Latin and our eyes would cross. I'm just telling you, it works. It does. And 
the the thing is, and I kind of was smacking my head around the other day. It's like you know, these are not things that I don't already know. Yeah, I've actually was good at this back in the day, but over the last ten or fifteen years, well, my podcast has been around for fifteen years, but my agency has gotten bigger. I've had to learn new tools with WordPress, and I'm constantly going. Yeah, my nerd is overloaded all the time, and. I just, it got out of hand. I thought, and like you said the other day, oh, I'll remember that. No, you won't. You will not. <laughs> Write it down. Yeah. yeah, that was Dr. Hill. Uh, that was a good idea, Ben. Write it. Uh, and I said, I know, I'm going to remember it. No, you're not. Nope. Yet I mean, I honestly of. can't remember what, I, none of us, we go to the refrigerator. We open up that door. I call it open refrigerator door meditation. You've got your head in that refrigerator. You don't know how you got there, why you got there, what you're doing. It's yeah. gone. Well, the the secret is the system uh, that uh, Dr. Hill held. You, you said something a second ago that was so true for me also. Uh, Dr. Hill, nor William Penpatrick, nor Zig or Augmentia, none of those friends of mine who were also mentors, whether they knew it or not, ever told me anything that my father and other of that generation hadn't already told me. The difference was I wasn't doing it. Uh, And uh, I didn't have a system for doing it. I didn't have a pattern uh, to follow. So, you know, I, I frequently say Dr. Hill taught me this. And I, as I'm writing it, I'm thinking, I wonder if people think I'm stupid. Did you have to wait till you were in your mid-20s and met Dr. Hill to know that? No. But I had to wait till I was in my mid-20s and met Dr. Hill to do it. And that's the, that's the difference. Well, and what is it they say that when you're ready, the teacher appears? Right. It always happens, but you have to be ready. That's another one that Dr. Hill uh, told me, and I quote it frequently. Uh, But I'd heard it before. It just didn't have any meaning to me. And then one day he said it, and I must have said, what does that mean exactly? And he said, Ben, the teachers are here now, have always been here, will always be here. The trick is to shut up and listen. Right. And we know these things at some level. I think we all know what we know but we don't put it into play or we're just not ready or we're tired. You know, there's always a, mm-hmm. there's a whiny yeah. excuse. There's yeah. true. When I'm not doing something I know I should be doing, like revamping my systems, I've been wanting to do this for a couple of years. I always found a reason why I didn't have time. Then I got good and sick and tired of being good and sick and tired. So now I'm revamping. Yeah, that's uh, uh it, it's interesting. You've been meaning to do it for a couple of years. We had a casual conversation, and you did it that day. Well, that, you told me to. Well, I always do yeah. what I'm told. <laughs> cutting, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no. That's cutting 700 and some odd days off the cycle. You know, stopping the stopping the the bad behavior or lack of action or whatever you want to call it, and it's it's crucial. But I am so thrilled. I feel like I'm. Uh, been to a revival and I've got a saved lady next to me. Uh, you should and, feel that and I, way. Yeah, and I hope you, I hope you pass it on. I've been passing it on for years and years. Uh, well, we're passing it on right I now. Get, it's one of the joys I get in my mentoring 
uh, business. We call it mentoring dynamics because that's what Dr. Hill and I were going to call it. But uh, early in the relationship with any new mentoring client or mentee, I guess is the proper word, uh, we, suddenly the conversation shifts to schedule. Tell me how you uh, run your day, young person, man, woman, what, whatever. Tell me how you run your day. Well, what do you mean by that? And as soon as I hear that, I know we got work to do right there. I can make the entire endeavor worthwhile that day if he or she will listen and take action like you did. Well, it was coming from you, and you know I, you're one of my top favorite people in the world. I have five favorite people in the world. You're the top two. I'm not going to ignore you. It's just that easy. When you tell me something that makes me go, oh, even though I already know it and I should have done it a long time ago, coming from you, it's like, do it now. Pay attention. I think I told you one day I was doing a seminar in Las Vegas and I got one of those things. They opened up to Q&A and somebody, a nice lady said to me, uh, what are the three most important things Dr. Hill taught you? Because they were fascinated that I... Uh, knew him, and uh, I, I think I've told you I, I learned 500 things. So I'm saying to myself, Lord, help me. I just need three right now. Give them to me. And uh, it was integrity, focus, and action were the three that came to my mind. And they're among certainly the top 10 things that uh, he got me going on. But even as I'm telling you this story now, I'm thinking, what are some people thinking that I had never thought of integrity before I met him or focus before I met him or action before I met him? Of course I had. They just weren't extremely important to me. It wasn't something I thought about every minute or used to make the next decision. Ray Constantine, dear friend of mine, now gone, uh, said to me one day and Dr. Hill agreed, I think he was even in the room at the time, he said, ask yourself 15 or 20 times a day, is this the most important thing I I could be doing right now? And if the answer is no, figure out what is and do that. And uh, that was, uh, that again, is one of those things that you, you sort of generally know. I've probably known it since I was the first time I mowed the lawn by myself or something. Uh, but it wasn't a thing that I said to myself 15 times a day or 15 times a year. Now it is at the end of every little segment of my day as I go to the next segment, generally right from the calendar, as I go to the next segment, I double-check myself. Is this the most important thing I should be doing now? And it probably was when I wrote it down but I just wrote down moments ago in the daily calendar because I don't have my 2024 calendar yet, wrote down to call someone on their anniversary at noon, 18, 17, 18 months from now. Now, that's at the time I wrote it down, that's terribly important. 18 months from now, I may not be alive. They may not be alive. They may not still be married. <laughs> you know, so Maybe I shouldn't be doing my anniversary thing, but you get it down. Then you can decide when the day comes, is this the most important thing? Is it still appropriate? And it's much easier to edit out things 
than trying to remember what you should be doing. It really is. And once I started looking at this at a glance, because I had flashbacks, I used to use these for years. I had the small ones, I had the pocket ones, I had the big ones. I still have them. They're in my office closet. I you know, was looking after you and I talked about it. I dug them out and I think I mentioned to this, you know, I can go back 20 years and look at a day and remember. It might just mm-hmm. be a single line, what I was doing, who I was with. Was I happy? Was I really wanting to hit somebody with my car? I had days like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't drive much anymore. But, but, you know, the thing is, you can keep those and then take them forward, take them back. They're kind of not really a diary. I don't journal. I've never been one to, you know, blab all over the place, even in paper. But it, it's interesting how they can keep you in touch with who you are and what you've done. And I can't remember now why I stopped using them. I wish I hadn't. Here we are. You know, I'm back at it. So it doesn't matter. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Ben, is I think I wanted to ask you or tell you. I can't remember now. I just I was writing something down and it just went out. Oh, you're talking about mentoring. You've Let's go back to what you just said about what you and and Dr. Hill decided to name your mentoring because you're still doing it, aren't you? Yeah, we were. It was going to be more official than it was for many years. Uh, I started the human modern human potential movement uh, in 1967 or so with a company called Leadership Dynamics Institute. And almost simultaneously, because the owner of the company, William Penn Patrick, was into uh, subconscious thinking and and the importance of it and so on, uh, I was instructed to buy the Silva Mind Control uh, Company. Long story that I won't bore you with now, but it didn't work out. But what it did do is brought me in contact with their top instructor. So I just hired him away. And we call that company Mind Dynamics uh, Institute. And there are probably people listening who are involved with one or both. So when Dr. Hill and I decide to formalize what he was doing for me with a train-the-trainer concept, they, people would come to California, highly selected people would come to California and spend 30 days or whatever we had. And I don't think we decided on that yet, but... 10, 20, 30 days with Dr. Hill and me and some of the other leaders in our company learning the thinking grow rich from the inside out. And then they would be certified trainers for the company we were going to set up, which was going to be called Mentoring Dynamics. And then Dr. Hill died on me. And uh, so I just sort of put it on the back shelf. I, I probably didn't feel worthy. I was, you know, 30, not quite 30. And maybe I shouldn't be teaching mentoring dynamics all by myself and referring to Dr. Hill every few minutes. But I found I found myself doing for others what Dr. Hill did for me on a regular basis without even thinking about it. Uh, we didn't have uh, Thursday we do this and and uh, you know all the uh, regimentation a lot of mentoring programs have. He was just my buddy, had a place in my office, a place in my home, and the freedom to come and go and sit in any meeting, anywhere, anytime, whatever. There was no place he was barred from. 
and therefore I got the benefit after meetings ended. He never questioned me or criticized me in front of other people, but I think I've told you before, I used to dread to hear the click of the lock when the last person left my office and shut the door. And I, out of my peripheral vision, I'd see if Dr. Hill's head then came up. If he kept writing, the meeting must have gone pretty well. If I heard the click of the lock and his head came up, I used to think, uh-oh, <laughs> now I'm going to get it. But he, he was hired by Bill Patrick the first year to be my mentor. We, I don't remember if we used the term mentor, coach, or whatever. He was just Dr. Hill, my buddy, uh, older, wiser buddy. And so over time, I began inserting that in almost everything I did and not too long ago decided to bring it back formally. And uh, I call it, it's not a company name, it's a system, but mentoring dynamics. And I work with no more than 30, 35 people. Depends on who the 30, 35 people are. Some people take up a lot of your time. Other people check with you once every six months, you know, for 10 minutes or something. But I, I'm the Dr. Hill in their life. Uh, I, I'm paid to tell them the absolute truth and to be blunt, even when it hurts, uh, and uh, to teach them the benefits. Uh, I read a thing the other day I'd never read before. If you want to know what's further down the road in your life, talk to someone who's coming back on that road. They've been down there. The Sherpas that are on any mountain worth climbing, they have Sherpas. Mount Everest was the first place I ever heard of that. But you go to the top of Mount Everest because now you're a millionaire, billionaire, whatever, and you can afford to pay the fees and the equipment and the staff and, and so on. But the guy who goes with you who doesn't get in the headlines, it's probably his 100th time up the mountain. He's a Sherpa. This isn't a new deal to him, and that's the reason you hired him. When you start to go right, he's the guy that says, uh, no, <laughs> the last 20 people that went to the right died, and we had to find their oh. bodies in the spring. So why don't we go left? And uh, so that's sort of what I do in my mentoring program uh, for people is uh, rent out my age, the degree of wisdom that I've developed, things that I've been taught along the way. I, through blind luck, I was worked with and was taught by some of the modern-day greats, uh, people, my, my buddies, you know, Earl Nightingale, Dr. Hill, Og Mandino, uh, Dr. Robert Schuller, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, Buckminster Fuller. I'm not reading off a list. I'm just randomly letting people come to my mind. Um, share what I got and make sure that that is what the message was from them with other people. And it saves so much time. I've often wondered, you know, I wish I could put a number on it, but Dr. Hill probably cut 10, 15 years off my learning curve. And so did Earl Nightingale and uh, others. And some were doing it deliberately, looking me dead in the eyes, saying, here's something you need to know. Or, I, just observing them, paying attention to what they were doing, how they conducted themselves, and so on. It uh, You don't need to live to be 100 to be wise, and the odds are you won't anyway. So that's a bad time. That's a bad target to have. Get wise, if only through learning from other people, as soon as you can. 
develop a habit of reading. Everything worth knowing has been written down, put in a book, and stuck in a library and or recorded, and you can get it on your computer now. So block out time to do that. Uh, If I'm not on the phone uh, or in a live meeting with somebody, in the background uh, is always some motivational self-improvement thing playing. My fallback is Jim Rohn, also an old buddy and friend, friendly rival. He ran a similar company to Holiday Magic Cosmetics. His was Best Line. He was president of it when I was president of Holiday Magic. And so here, since we were taught by the same people, hearing him talk about it, and he had an eloquent way of talking, and his voice was mesmerizing and so on, it's like going back in a time machine. You know, I, I wish I could remember that. We'll just flip on Jim Rohn, and he'll probably come across it in 10 or 15 minutes. So it's all available. It's all out there. But you have to have the discipline to do it. And among the ways I do that is I make it easy to do it. I've probably mentioned this before, but where I'm sitting right now at my computer desk, I've got, I'm guessing, 40 books within arm's length to the right or the left. I don't have to lean out of the chair. 40 books readily available. And uh, so I not only can look up something if I need that, I also, if I have 10 minutes between calls or five minutes, I pick up a book. And every single one of them has a bookmark in it uh, based on where I was the last time I picked it up, which might have been a year ago or two days ago, has a bookmark in it. And all around me are highlighter pens and so on. So when I read it again, uh, I can pick the very best out of that. So I, it's just uh, it's like a farmer planting seed. I'm always planting because I'm not the brightest person on earth as I have to tell some of my associates from time to time as they go off into deep philosophical points or high finance. Uh, I have a friend who's a billionaire. I have a couple of friends that are billionaires, but I have one who's a billionaire and we're close friends and went through some tough times together. And I have to frequently remind him as he goes off, say, excuse me, you're talking to Ben Gay, high school graduate, simplify it. I don't know what a triple back refinance done to the Cayman Islands is. Help me. (laughs) And uh, so it's available if you avail yourself of it and discipline yourself to do it. And the system you're now on makes that possible because you can block out time just for that until it becomes a habit and there's stuff all around you to pick up and read on a moment's notice here, my other desk, my real desk in the bathroom, next to the uh, bed, in my briefcase, in the car, loose. Uh, And and so you get that going. Uh, I would block out time on that magic new calendar you have. You know, study. Set a time if you want, but at least set the length of time. Study 20 minutes or whatever, and then set your timer and do it till the buzzer goes off. Gigi says living with me is like living in a firehouse because the bell on my cell phone goes off every few minutes to remind me that I'm starting this or stopping that or doing the podcast or what have you. I just pulled my phone out of my pocket to make sure it didn't go off while we were talking because I'm sure there's something 
coming up, but I just don't trust myself to do it. I'm, I'm disciplined enough to know I'm not the brightest person on earth, so I must have a discipline, a system. And once you set that up, it, you're off and running. And probably in my mentoring service, that's among the best things that I teach. Get it into a system that can be followed because it's consistency that counts. Everybody has a great idea occasionally. The dumbest person on earth has a great idea occasionally. Uh, but the trick is to have 15 great ideas in a day and and have a system for carrying them out. Exactly. I'm like you. I read all the time. I started reading when I was three. I remember my kindergarten teacher bringing my mom in and saying, Denise says she can read. And she was basically calling me a liar. Because in kindergarten, they don't have little books to give you. They yeah. just want you to yeah. eat graham crackers and take a nap, and I don't nap. So that started me on the, you can't tell me what to do. But <laughs> my mom said, well, yeah, she can read, because my parents had books everywhere. And my teacher, and I remember this. I don't remember much about school or even my childhood, but I do remember this, because my mom, all five foot, nothing much and a half of her stood up straight and she looked at this very large german woman and said if she says she can read she can read and the woman said well how can she read and my mom stood up and said because we didn't tell her she couldn't well that was the end of that conversation but i'm like you i read and i don't here's the thing i don't like tv i really don't and it's hard to get me to sit through a movie unless it's you know Top Gun Maverick, I'll watch that or I'll listen to it now because I've seen it so many times. But I will, like last night, you know, I'll read or, you know, I've got something else to do or I'll be in here working. But I listen. I have a lot, a lot of audible books. And last night I turned on Emerson Thoreau and the Transcendentalist Movement and I went Mm -hmm. to sleep with it on. I will often catch myself waking up and I'll be hearing something that, in one of these books, ooh, ooh, I have to write that down because I woke up just in time to hear the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. When the student is ready. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I grew up uh, with, uh, I was thinking when you were talking, because you and I had each met <clears throat> one time that we read the, the stuff on a cereal box. So I'll read the yep. ingredients in a bottle of Tabasco sauce. <laughs> It's there. It's in print. I got nothing to do for 30 seconds. I'll read it. Uh, and uh, so we do that. But uh, among the way I formed my reading habit was mother used to take the Reader's Digest. And I, I don't even know if it's still published, but when it was published, it was about a six by nine magazine. And uh, you could just almost stick it in your back pocket. And it was filled with individual little not little, but short stories on various things, various lessons and people and so on, and uh, had humor in it and so on. Mother subscribed to it and never threw them out. Well, maybe she did at some point, but there were always 30 or 40 stacked on the the, uh, water cabinets in the bathroom uh, on the back of the toilet. So when when you visited the toilet, there was no excuse not to read, and sometimes it's boring if you're not reading something. So the joke in our family was, if and all my friends all knew it, if you went to the bathroom when you came out, you were expected to tell us 
expected to tell us what you learned while you were in there. Because there were 40, 50 copies of the Reader's Digest. Right. Each one had 30 stories in it, and they were all short. I don't want to be too graphic, but they were most could be read in one sitting. And uh, <laughs> Not <laughs> in my house. Out. There was a bunch of kids pounding on that door. <laughs> but when you came out, there was, you know, what'd you learn? And my my friends learned to whether they wanted to or not to read something so they could answer the question because they knew they would be asked. But that that's probably where my obsession started was the Reader's Digest on the back of the toilet. You know, I'm so glad you <clears throat> you brought up the Reader's Digest because that's really where I learned to read. Hang on, I need to cough. Sorry about that. Um, my parents and my grandparents had all kinds of hardbound, the Reader's Digest, the convinced books, you know, mm-hmm. convinced. And I remember as a child, a very young child, reading Merry Christmas, Mr. Baxter. Now, Mr., that was written by Edward Streeter, and I think he wrote Father of the Bride, which I've never read. But anyway, that was one of my very favorite books. And when I left home, I might have relocated it with me because I still own it. I never told anybody I was taking it. I just took it. It's my book. Well, the uh, I developed a whole seminar and did it for years based on a story about Ben Hogan, the great golfer that I read in Reader's Digest in the early 50s. I think it was 1956, but I may be wrong. He was in a horrible automobile accident, almost died broke every major bone in his body, crushed his spleen, you know, one of those horrible things. And uh, two years later, I think, at the L.A. Open, uh, he was in the lead, uh, which was un- it was unbelievably showed up. And a lot of people thought he'd just tee off ceremonially. ceremonially. <laughs> I don't think I pronounced that right. Uh, like the older guys do at the Masters. But he was in the lead at the end of the first day, tied at the end of the second day, and so on. Uh, And uh, on the 18th hole, as he went to putt for the championship, his knee buckled, and he missed the putt. And Grantland Rice, the great sports writer and all, said his his legs just weren't big enough to carry his heart around, that big heart around. And it just really struck me. To the point that years later, I wrote or called the Reader's Digest, and I said, I read a story about Ben Hogan. It was called He Follows the Sun. How can I get a copy of it? And they sent me a bound uh, copy of just that story. And I did a seminar out of that for years on overcoming adversity, and and I am. That's where I latched onto the I am concept and so on. And again, that was, I read He Follows the Sun in a Reader's Digest as a kid in the bathroom. And that one story, I hadn't thought of this in years and didn't plan to tell you today, but that one story reading it one day in in, uh, the Reader's Digest, I probably made a half a million dollars telling the story. But you never know where something is going to impact you, that you've read it or you've heard it, and it kind mm-hmm. of sat with you for a while, but it was such an impact that it never yep. went away, and you had to share it. 
Absolutely. We promised them some sales questions today. I've got a couple. We do you have any? No, I do, but I want you to start because I've got several. But let's let okay. you go with Super. it because as far as I know, these came from some of your the people that you work directly with and you mentor them or they're your clients. So let's hear from them. Super. Happy to do it. And and I am so – I haven't, didn't say it officially when we started. I am so happy to be on uh, a guest host on your uh, my weekly – your uh, three times a week, my weekly podcast with you. <clears throat> I feel like I've died and gone to heaven because I'm with the Aww. queen. Well, I'm with the queen. Of, one, I, I love you and just like talking to you. Uh, but uh, two, you're the queen of podcasting, and I'm excited. I hope uh, you're going to go forward with it. I have a feeling you are in putting together your podcasting package because I was lucky enough to join you, but if I wanted to start cold I, by myself, uh, I would have had to make 1,500 phone calls to find the right person, and you now have a, or about to have a package how you do it, who you call, who you connect with, and so on. And I'm just really excited about it. I'm not going to take thank advantage you. of it because I'm with you. <laughs> so I'm, gl- I'm glad you. you did all that, and uh, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, I wrote down a couple of things during the week that came from uh, – I'm going to try and get used to saying mentees. I've never liked that term. But came from friends, clients, mentees in my mentoring dynamics program – that they brought up this week, needless to say, I won't use their names, but one, uh, for fear of getting them fired, uh, one question was, what happens or how do you handle if you don't believe in your product or service? And uh, which reminds me of Dr. Hill because he was always very precise. When we started on a project, he would say, what exactly are we trying to accomplish? What exactly do we have to work with? You know, so on. He didn't want to start wandering around chatting about things like people in the self-development industry do. I have friends who like to get together once a week and talk on the phone or podcasting about how excited they are about their project where I'm inclined to. I'm glad you're excited. What are we going to do? <laughs> you know, let's do something. One of the joys in joining you in this podcast was it was one conversation and Five days later, I was guest hosting. So you, well, you're and I have. Th- and I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I kind of did, because this is important. I've had at least two people over the years almost fight to get on this podcast as a co-host. I mean, just I had one person in particular. I finally had to say, as we say in the deep south, it ain't happening, hun. I like you. But this is my show, and you're not going to take it over, which he would have done. He would have tried. And it, it's no, it's, but that moment that we had that quick conversation on LinkedIn, a week later, we were like, let's do it. You're the one yep. person in the world I would even entertain the idea of doing this with. And when you popped up and said, hey, I think I could almost see your hand up there going, pick me, pick me. I picked you. <laughs> well, I'm I'm thrilled with it, and I'm really thrilled that, like in my mentoring program, you're going to spread the word about how they, too, can do it. Because it's no small feat to be sitting in a little southern state and uh, become one of the top 2% podcasters on the planet. I mean, that's just astounding. But anyway, back to my friend. He said, 
what happens if you don't believe in your product or service anymore or never did or whatever? Well, again, you have to break it down and get specific. Never did, you have a real problem uh, because you know, you shouldn't have been with them. Uh, I always say sell a quality product that's competitively priced. Uh, spend your day talking to people who are qualified to buy it. Uh, don't sell anything that you wouldn't sell to your mother and uh, so on. So if it's don't believe in the product or service because you have an ethical problem or uh, it's not right and so on, as Jim Rohn used to say, you're not a tree. Move. Take your talent. There used to be a show on television called Paladin starring the old actor Richard Boone. And on his business card, he was a hired gun, basically. A good guy. He wasn't killing people unless they needed killing. Uh, but on his <laughs> business card, <laughs> on his business card, it said Paladin, San Francisco. Have gun, will travel. So if you're selling a product or service that is not right, either for you or for your customers or whatever, move. Have gun, will travel. Your talent probably isn't inventing products and services. God love you if you do that. I've never really created anything from scratch. I've taken other ideas and combined them. And, you know, I started the call center industry by taking answering services that didn't work and combining and, and an 800 number, which was too expensive for anybody to have back then, <clears throat> and combining them with a timeshare business where I was doing work in the early days of timeshare. Just took the three ideas, jammed them together, and turned it into what we call the call center. So uh, you, you can create a new product or a new service or go sell somebody. I always prefer my contribution is is selling. So I prefer to sell your product or service than come up with one. Occasionally I come up with one by accident. But move would be the first thing. Now, spill over just a little bit there. Another part of that might be, well, I sell steamships, you know, or cargo ships, and I don't have any need for one. Can I still sell them? Of course, to people who need steamships or cargo ships. You don't have to personally have a need for the product, but you have to see its value and know that it's a, uh, an item of integrity that you can honor and that you're going to spend your time selling to people. I just said a moment ago, uh, a product you'd sell to your mother. Well, if I was selling cargo ships and my mother were still alive, I wouldn't attempt to sell her one. She doesn't need a cargo ship, but that doesn't make cargo ships bad it means I'm wasting my time selling it to someone who's not qualified. Now, as far as a product that's bad, I've accidentally sold a couple of those over the years. And as soon as I realized my error, I backed up where I could make it right. I made it right to the customers I had sold and moved on. I sold the first Pong machines. Do you remember Pong, the early video game? You no. It was like a ping pong game. You sat down in a pizza parlor, and there was this table with a glass top, and behind it was a black and white, it was sort of blue uh, screen. And you sat on one side, your friend sat on the other. You put a quarter in and played pong back and forth. I was the first one to sell video games in the United States through Atari and Pong. And uh, I, I sold them because I was fascinated by them. 
sold them. Uh, I have one guy in mind who bought 25 of them as an investment. You buy it, we'll, we'll locate it in the pizza parlor for you, and uh, and then you split the money with a pizza guy owner. And uh, I thought it was a great idea. And there was no way to research it because it had never been done before. Right. It was a brand new thing. I just thought it would work great. So I sold, let's say, I think it was about 25 machines to a guy, and they weren't cheap, like $2,000 a piece. And we placed them like we said we would. And then he lived near me in Marin County, and he called up one day and said, I want to go down and, and uh, collect money out of the first machine. It was in a pizza parlor in San Rafael, California. I said, I'll go with you. I'll meet you there. And uh, we went down. He had the key to the box, and we opened it up. One of the little tricks to get people to, to sort of prime the pump was we would give the owner some quarters with a red nail polish thing across the quarter. So if he gave somebody a quarter, you know, here, go try the machine, he'd give them one with a red stripe on it. And when we cleared out, when the owner cleared out the machine, he'd split giving back the ones with the red stripe, those are his to start with, and then split the rest of it. So we go down, and we were really excited. Machine had been there a week or 10 days, and he opened up the box, and there was one quarter in it, and it had a red stripe. And I won't bore you with the story of the other 20, 25 machines, but it, they were similar. And I had just what told it. It, it it was like a lot of things. If you're the first, you know, when the uh, army ants get to the river to cross, the first ones go in the water, and then the second ones go over their back, and so on. It's best to be an army ant in the end of the line. The first ones don't make it. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah, he and I were among the first army ants in the uh, video game business. It was too soon. You had people walk in, happy that they were overplaying the pinball machine because they understood what a pinball machine was. They were playing the jukebox, uh, but they weren't playing this thing that they didn't understand. And uh, so I gave him all that I could give him back, all that I had gotten, my commissions and so on. And uh, he went on and tried to make a, a thing out of it. But I had just sold my last Pong game because I didn't believe in the product or service. It was ahead of its time, and I got out. And the other one, I'll go quickly because we're going to run out of time, and I want you to not have me hog the show today. Uh, no, no, keep going. I'm wondering, just because this is how mm-hmm. my brain works, I'm wondering why you didn't put some, I don't know what you call them, stringers? You know, put some kids in there who do know, train them up, and get them to kind of rally the, the troops. Probably should have, but there weren't any kids that knew that was the problem. <laughs> oh. People were walking right past that over gotcha. to the uh, over to the uh, thing. And the other thing I didn't know about the business should have because my godfather Howard Robinson was the largest pinball jukebox and slot machine. Yes, I said slot machine because that's the type of business that you're sort of in whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, it's gaming, any kind of gaming that's going to fall in that same category. Yeah, but in Georgia in the 40s and 50s, it was just flat out illegal. But oh, still, I didn't know that. The, yeah, it sort of came along with the business. If you were selling slot machine, uh, jukeboxes, uh, pinball games, and so on, and somebody said, if you got a slot machine, 
Howard had a slot machine. Howard had lots of slot machines behind a wall and a, a hidden wall in the garage, which I was allowed to see a couple of times. Anyway, when I told Howard I was going to sell these pawn games, one, I had to explain it. He'd never heard of them, which was a little scary looking back. He was a big deal in that industry. And then he said, Ben, let me explain to you how this works. If your machine really takes off in a location, and he said the, the, the jukebox and the pinball machine are owned by people like me, he said. <laughs> uh, if it really takes off and begins siphoning quarters out of my machine, the next time you go in to pick up quarters, you're going to find your machine over in the corner with a broken top, and maybe the hammer was used will still be stuck in the glass. You're, you're into a rough oh, Gotcha. Uh, we don't play. And, <laughs> and I went, yeah, yeah, but this is really a good thing, and ignored what he just told me. He was a big deal. One of his friends, you've heard of the Rockola jukebox, Rockola's. Anyway, there was a guy named Rocky Cola that that was named after. It's not a cute name of rock and roll and Coca-Cola. And so on. it was a Rocky Cola. And that's where the name came from. He was a good friend of his. And he had some friends you probably wouldn't want to meet. Uh, so uh, he warned me, and I didn't listen. I wasn't real good at listening yet. So there's an example of shifting products. And then the other one, different mentee, asked me if, what to do if he didn't believe in his company. He thought they were dishonest, dishonest to him, to the salespeople, and so on. Of course, I went into the move theory, but I said, if the company's worth saving and you've got courage, the answer is sit down with the owner of the company, not the assistant manager. Sit down with the owner of the company and say, I came to work here because I liked the idea. I thought it was a great deal. I thought the company was, was wonderful and so on. I have since discovered that's not true. So even if this is our last meeting, I'd like to share with you what, we, what I've discovered and what's really going on. And uh, if you want to fix it, I'll stay. If you don't want to fix it, this is our last session together. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know if I have the courage to do that. And I said, well, get back to me when you have the courage and we'll go over it again. Because that's the answer to your question. So if you don't believe in the product or service because it's dysfunctional, doesn't do what it's going to say, what it says, and you can invent an improvement, move. If you're with a dishonest company, and I was with one, Holiday Magic Cosmetics, in Atlanta, had drawn in, when I joined it, uh, had drawn in a bunch of Arthur Murray dance instructors. And I'm sure they're wonderful people today, but back then, uh, when they were selling quadruple and triple lifetime dance lessons to little old ladies who were lonely, uh, it was a, a, a rough business. Shark skin suits and, and Cadillacs and Lincolns that made them look like pimps and so on. And that's who was running Atlanta's Holiday Magic operation. And I got with, because I was asked to go on a little trip and introduce him, I got with the owner of the company and said, uh, this, this may be our last flight, first and last flight together, Bill, but you need to know what's going on because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not recruiting family members or close friends into the business because I don't want to do that to them. And uh, he said, we were flying somewhere 
he said, we're having dinner tonight, just the two of us. Make notes and be ready. And when we had dinner, uh, we discussed it in detail with names, dates, places, and activities. And he fixed it. And I stayed on, became president of the company, and had a great run with them. But that was fix the company. Fix it or I'm out of here. Because I was a chef. My mother and dad said, you're making money. Uh, why haven't you asked us to join? And I said, because I'm embarrassed. So that's uh, the two little lessons are change the product or service if you can. If it's an ethical thing with the company, move and or uh, fix the company. But I would, fixing the company is a longer shot. So I wouldn't waste a whole lot of time on that. If you're a bad envir- in a bad environment, trust your gut and move on. These days, it's easy to move on. In fact, we're hearing a lot about quiet quitting and people just saying, you know, I'm not going to come into your office. I'll work from home. A lot mm-hmm. of things have changed. But if, yep. And I agree with you. Listen, for the rare occasions when I would put a, a resume out, especially after you know, I closed down my business, I went to school, got my college degree, my, my computer science degree that nobody cares about, but it's mine. I got it. I had to pay for it. It's mine. But yeah, and I would have to work part time during the day. You know, I'd work for what do you call those hiring agencies? But you know, I did fine. I you know, I'd work during the day, and then go to school at night. Mm-hmm. But most of them would say, "Oh, we'd like to keep you." And I'd say, "I've been here three weeks. I don't like you." It's <laughs> gonna happen. <laughs> I already knew. Not a remote this, chance. Not a prayer in hell, (laughs) but but I could figure out very quickly that it just wasn't, you know, I would do my best job. I always do. But the thing is, when I would put a resume out there without fail, every insurance company for 100 miles around, oh, we want you. No. Don't ask me what I think about insurance. Just don't. (laughs) So it was always a a no. I can get a feeling from people. I cannot sell something that I despise, so no. Yeah, or don't believe. And as you said, especially now, but it's always been true, if you can sell, uh, quick story, one of my sons, the oldest one, the fourth, Ben the fourth, he and his buddies were going to Alaska one year to do that, you know, go to Alaska and get rich on the fishing boats. It, it doesn't work that way, but he didn't know any better, and he didn't ask me. He was It was already planned by the time I knew it, about it. So he and I think it was eight or nine friends were going up there. And my sister was telling me the story later in, when she lived in Atlanta, and they were he was still in Atlanta. Uh, they were at her house and plotting the trip. Well, do we go to Anchorage? Do we go to Sitka? Do we go here? You know, where do we go? And Ben was watching something on television, probably a football game or something. And my sister got aggravated with him and said, Ben, they're planning where they're going, where you're all going for six months or three months, whatever, you know. Uh, In Alaska, you ought to show some interest and and get a vote in where you're going. And he turned to her and said, with great respect, Aunt Jane, my dad raised me to be a salesman. They can pick any place on earth, and I'll be employed by sundown. And he mm-hmm. was, uh, and and he didn't go out on the fishing boats. He got a much more important job in the office helping run the business. But that was his attitude, like I was talking about earlier. Have gun, will travel. Have talent, will travel. No reason to be selling a bad product or service or working for a less than good 
company in this day and age, especially because you can be, I signed up for some little, I don't even know what I signed up for, but I keep getting every day, be a vice, apply to be the vice president of sales here, the president of this, the executive consultant here and so on. I get 15 or 20 a day and I only get, as best I can tell, Northern California. I could, I'm qualified for any of the jobs. I could get 15 or 20 jobs a day at a high level, $100,000 and up, way up. Uh, by just because I have that confidence. So I don't have to be trapped selling something I don't believe in. I've had clients that I resigned from because I'm not, I said, I'm not going to help you get better at selling this because it's dishonest. I told you I'd keep an eye on the clock, and I'm doing that, and we're about to run out of time, and I've hogged the time. I really – No, uh, you did I, not. I'm, I'm sorry, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, and like I told you, when we embarked on this, this is all about you. It's about sales. It's about your history. I mean, you tell the best stories. And as far as I'm concerned, when we're all done with this, if we ever get all done with this, we're writing an autobiography. You've got the best stories. And I love Give me the name of a good writer (laughs) because I'm not writing a a good autobiography. I am, however, working on my obituary. I told Gigi the other day, something was said about obituaries. I said, whoa, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not leaving that to chance. I'm writing my own. And... uh, and I, I may even deliver it to the newspaper and say, I'm in good health, I'm doing fine, but put this in the files. Don't let any well-meaning <laughs> relative come in here and screw this up. <laughs> a lot of people do that. I've always said, I don't like funerals. I don't really believe in them or marriage or you know, a lot of things. But, but it's just, I'm not going to enumerate them. But I remember when, you know, I've lost a lot of family members over the last three or four years, and we've always had a good sense of humor about our mortality. And my brother passed not too long ago, my mother, you know, not too long ago. And and I remember talking with my brother before he passed. He was a double lung transplant, so we knew it was coming. But he said, okay, he said, I don't want to be burial. I said, don't worry about it. We've all talked. We're going to hefty bag you going in the tomato <laughs> garden. <laughs> and he just said, okay. He was fine with that. Here on, <laughs> yeah. they pick up, you put the trash out Wednesday night. They pick it up Thursday. Um, um, <laughs> so I hope to die on a Tuesday or Wednesday. So oh, make, it, make it easier. <laughs> there you go. When I said hefty bag, you just lost it. Listen, we've got about a minute. And we listen, in, anytime you're on this show with me, I want you to do as much of the talking as you can because I find you fascinating. I've always said that, and I'll say it again. So what are we going to talk about next week? What do you have in mind? We don't have time to discuss it. It's 12.59. We've got about 30 seconds, so talk fast. Uh, What I'd like to do next week is have some more questions. These just came up in casual conversation running my mentoring business. I'd like to have some specific questions from our listeners. Tell them to email them to you, email them to me. My email is bfg3 at directcon.net. I think that's up on the website anyway. But uh, email me specific questions, and they don't have to be softballs. I'm a grown-up. I've been at this a long time. Ask me anything you want. If you've got the nerve to ask it, I'll answer it. Perfect. 
And I'm rebuilding, just so everybody knows, I'm rebuilding DeniseGriffiths.com, and Ben is going to have his own section on there. I have my own section on there. You can reach one of us or both of us, whatever it takes. So, Ben, I'm going to shut it down, and I'll see you next week. Have a great day. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 